Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Wednesday. I'm going to have a barbecue later, and we're going to read some news stories. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Sure. <laughs> no microphone. Oh, I can hear you now. Yeah. That happens to me all the time, my hair getting stuck. All right. <laughs> Had to reach for something and, whoa. Hey, your hair might attach to something. Here's some of my poodle hair. All right, man. We're almost there. Believe it or not, I might look like it. It is fine. The deal here. Ready when you are, Chief. Okay. Today on Before Coffee, AI discrimination is a bigger risk than human extinction, the EU chief says. Army renames Louisiana base for black World War I hero who received Medal of Honor. Ukraine urges G7 to clamp down after Western parts found in Russian missiles. Author, we remember author Cormac McCarthy, who has died at the age of 89. The EU's biodiversity law under threat from center-right MEPs. And in Weird Wednesday news, Mount Washington and Pigs on the Road. Today on June 14th edition of Before Coffee. Okay, let's start on our first news story here from Dan Milmo and Alex Hearn in The Guardian. Discrimination is a big is a bigger threat posed by artificial intelligence than possible extinction of the human race, according to European Union's Com- Competition Commissioner. Margrethe Vestager said although the existential risk from advances in AI may be a concern, it was unlikely, whereas discrimination from technology was a real problem. She told the BBC guardrails, B- where, where, oh wait. She told the BBC guardrails were needed for AI, including for situations where it was being used for decisions that could affect livelihoods, such as mortgage applications or access to social services. Probably the risk of extinction may exist, but I think the likelihood is quite small. I think the AI risk are more than people will, that more people will be discriminated against, and they will not see who they are. If it's a bank using it or decide it to decide whether I can get a mortgage or not, or if it's a social service on your municipality, then you want to make sure that you're not being discriminated against because of your gender or your color or your postal code. In the UK, the Information Commissioner Office's office is investigating whether AI systems are showing racial bias when dealing with job applications. Regulators are concerned that AI tools will will could that that AI tools will could <laughs> that's what it says will could produce outcomes that disadvantage certain groups if they're not represented accurately or fairly in the data sets that they are trained or tested on. Vestager's concerns echo some tech experts who argue that fears over existential level risks related to AI are overshadowed 
overshadowing more immediate risks such as AI-powered disinformation. The competition, the competition chief said calls for more moratium on AI development, supported by Elon Musk and other senior figures, was unenforceable. AI regulation needs to be a global affair, Vestager said, but she warned that a UN-style porch would be difficult to implement. Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, has convened a global AI safety summit for the like-minded Prime Minister has, wait, for the like-minded countries. This autumn, and tech executives such as Google CEO Sundar Chai and Elon Musk have called for global frameworks to regulate the technology. Let's start working on a UN approach, but we shouldn't hold our breath, Vestager said. We should do what we can here and now. The EU is working on legislation to oversee development and implementation of AI systems, which groups AI technology into four risk groups. Accessible unacceptable risk, high risk, limited risk, and minimal risk. AI systems overseeing credit scores and essential public services come into the high risk category, meaning clear requirements we set for those systems. All right, let's hope our robot overlords aren't saying, wait a minute, the guy who programmed me didn't like black people, so I have to refuse all black people. Because the guy, because that's in the other day, it's not really intelligence. It's intelligence no. in the sense of that you can leave it there and it'll run by right. itself, but it's not intelligence as in it will learn that, oh, the people who designed me are mistaken. It doesn't know that. It only knows the parameters you give it. It does not know. it. it artificial, artificial intelligence is not at the level that it can judge the person who designed it and say, wait a minute, maybe my creator was wrong. No. I can't hear you. You did something and now I can't hear you. You muted yourself on Discord. There you go. Yeah, I turned off my mic because I was moving stuff. Uh, no, I was just saying AI is always going to be one at one human level, and that human level is what is known as the Dunning Kruger effect, which yeah. is you don't realize how stupid you are. <laughs> so AI is always going to be that way. It's always going to think it's smarter than you, and there's no way to change it. So, yeah, that's really a problem. What are you talking about? I'm right. I'm AI. How could I be wrong? Okay, that's logic for you. Your story. Is is it my turn? Okay. And in uh, Army News, Army renames Louisiana base for World War War I hero who received Medal of Honor. And this is is from uh, the uh, NBC News. In Fort Johnson, Fort Johnson, Louisiana, a U.S. Army base in western Louisiana was named Tuesday to honor Sergeant William Henry Johnson, a black hero of World War I, who received the Medal of Honor a century later. Fort Johnson had previously been named after a Confederate commander, Leonidas Polk. The renaming is part of the U.S. military's efforts to address historical, historic racial injustice work that included changing the names of nine Army posts that commemorated Confederate officers. Sergeant William Henry Johnson embodied the warrior spirit and we are deeply honored to bear his name. Burrito General David Garner, the commanding general of the Joint Readiness Training Center at Fort Johnson said in a post on Twitter. While serving on the front lines of France in 1918, Johnson fought off German 
night raid near Argonne Forest, according to the National Museum of the United States Army. Johnson was wounded 21 times while beating back the attacking forces. He also prevented a he also prevented a wounded black comrade from being taken prisoner when, after running out of grenades and ammunition, he killed two German soldiers with his knife. His frantic attacks broke German morale and the enemy raiding party retreated. The Army's Museum biography of Johnson says. He survived the war and former President Theodore Roosevelt named him one of the five greatest Americans to serve in the conflict. He insisted he was no hero and the Army biography quotes him as saying, there's, there's anything, there wasn't anything so fine about it. Just fought for my life, a rabbit would have done that. His brave actions were recognized nearly a century later when he was awarded a Congressional Medal of Honor in 2015 for conspicuous gallantry and intrepid, intrepidity, intrepidity in the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. However, Johnson's actions were not recognized by the Army, which denied him a disability allowance and did not award him a Purple Heart. Due to his injuries, he struggled after returning to his home in Albany in New York, died of a heart condition in 1929, he was 32 years old. The current process of renaming nine Army posts marks the first time bases will be named after black soldiers and women. Earlier this month, Fort Bragg in North, Car North Carolina became Fort Liberty, and Fort Benning in Georgia was named Fort Moore last month. The original naming process involved mem members of the local communities, although black residents were left out of the conversation. Bases were named after soldiers born and raised nearby, no matter how effectively they performed their duties. Confederate General Braxton Bragg, for instance, is widely regarded among historians as a poor leader who did not have the respect of his troops. Of course, he was also a traitor. All right, your story. Congratulations and we're on gonna have more. people renaming their forts after, you know, what hasn't been 200 years of since the Confederate War and people are finally like, hey, wait a minute, why do we have sovereign forts named after traitors? Yeah, yeah that's kind of that messed in, up. Where, where you grew up in El Paso, there they had Fort, um, um, geez, I can't think of the name of the fort there. Well, they're not going to rename the whole. They're not going to rename the whole fort because they didn't misname it. But uh, I don't believe it anyway. What the hell is the name of the fort there? I'll think of it. You'll think of mm. it in the middle of my story. I'll think about, of it later. Yeah, <laughs> my brain about... is working. I worked. I worked there nine years. I can't think of it. <laughs> anyway, the street, the main street, was called uh, William. Bed was named after uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Basically, the guy who started the KKK. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what well, is this? This is Texas. Oh, yeah, Texas was a confederacy. What a bunch of idiots. He named oh. a street, like a main street after a traitor, like a <laughs> criminal, basically. Say like, what? This is the U.S. Army. They say the freaking guys that lost the war. It's the guys that won the war. All right, go ahead. All right. For news in Ukraine, we've got Dan Sabaj in Dinpro. Western microchips and other components coming largely via China. Huh? Fort Bliss. Fort Bliss. Fort Bliss. Okay. Yeah. Coming okay. largely Sorry. via China are used being used to manufacture Russian crews and ballistic missiles that are being launched at Ukraine, Kyiv has said in a presentation prepared for G7 members this week. 
The document, leaked to The Guardian, calls for the world's leading economies to pressure countries who fail to act decisively, without naming Beijing directly, as well as a plea to further tighten export controls. Russia, Keefe says, has adapted to sanctions and will produce 1,061 missiles this year, more than double the 512 that the country's armed manufacturers made in 2022, the first year of its full invasion of Ukraine. The document argues that with the help of the China, with China and others, Western components have been found in KH-101 and caliber cruiser missiles, as well as Iskander and the Kinzhal hypersonic ballistic missiles. On Tuesday, at least 11 were killed in a Russian missile attack that struck an apartment block in the southern city of Kriyavivri, while on Wednesday, at least three were killed in the port city of Odessa in what local authorities said was a cruise missile strike. The country estimates that 734 civilian casualties have been caused since the start of the full-scale Russian invasion in February of 2022, with the aggressors launching 6,000 missiles that struck 3,387 civilian targets. Ukraine continues to press for tighter coordinated sanctions to target Russian and its case, in this case, is lobbying for G7 members to implement tighter restrictions aimed at the country's missile manufacturers. Diplomatic sources said the latest paper was circulating earlier this week. An analysis, analysis of the missile fragments reveals that Russia is making use of a range of microprocessors, principally from U.S. firms, which are supplied for civilian purpose but then re-exported through third countries to Moscow. Tips from integrated device technology in Altera have been found in a KH-101 cruise missile, while processors from Texas Instruments and Cypress Semiconductor appear in the sea-launched caliber. Iskander and Kinsol both feature microchips from Thinlix, a doc the document adds. Ukraine's research estimates that 80% of Russian missile components by value come from China in January and February, though it is unclear how this calculation is obtained. Thailand is the next largest exporter on 5.5%, while other significant countries include Turkey, Maldives, and the UAE. Eve is, says it wants to stop missile terror and urges the Western government to impose sanctions on all Russian missile production companies and tie end user controls to prevent components exported for civilian purposes ending up in missiles or other military kit. It also says some Western materials, such as adhesives, are also used in Russian missile production. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really hard when you get like the third, fourth person selling your supplies. You know, just a giant chain of supplies getting somehow into your Russian missile. Not yeah, sure if you can plus, really control that, but I guess you can try. Plus, Russia has a space program, and I'm sure they we supplied something in their space program, right? Hey, you're helping us with our space stuff, so here's some semiconductors, you know. Yeah. And then they just went and turned them into military shit instead, <laughs> you know. Very clever. The old shell game. That's it. My turn. Story. Okay, author Carmen McCarthy has died. Uh, and if you fit your life, if you feel like you're not successful in life, just realize that Cormac McCarthy, the guy who wrote The Road and No Country for Old Men, nobody heard of him until he was 60. <laughs> so, a guy who reached success at the age of 60 has died at the age of 89. Cormac in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This is Cardin AP. Cormac McCarthy, the Pulitzer Prize winning novelist, who in prose, both dense and brittle, took readers to the American, the Southern Appalachians, to the desert Southwest, and such novels as The Road, Blood Meridian, All the Pretty Horses. Died Tuesday, he was 89. Published Alfred 
Publisher Alfred A. Knopf, a Penguin Random House imprint, announced that McCarthy had died of natural causes at his home in Santa Fe, New Mexico. For 60 years, he demonstrated unwavering dedication to his craft to exploring the infinite possibilities of power of the written word. Pen a Penguin Random House CEO, Nahar Malabaya. Every, every day I got a challenge of pronouncing a name, don't I? It's great. Nihar, Ma yeah, you too, right? <laughs> Malavaya said in this statement, millions of readers around the world embraced his characters, his mythic themes, and his intimate emotional truths. He laid bare on every page the brilliant novels that remain both timely and timeless for generations to come. McCarthy, raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, was compared to William Faulkner for his expansive Old Testament style and his rural settings. McCarthy's themes, like Faulkner's, often were bleak and violent and dramatized how the past overwhelmed the present. Across stark and forbidding landscapes and run on border communities, he placed drifters, thieves, prostitutes, and all broken men, all unable to escape fates determined for them well before they were born. As the doomed John Grady Cole of McCarthy's celebrated border trilogy would learn dreams of a better life were only dreams, and falling in love is an act of folly. Every man's death is standing in for every other, McCarthy wrote in Cities of, Plain, Cities of the Plain, the trilogy's final book. And since death comes to all, there's no way to abate the fear of it except to love that man who stands for us. McCarthy's own story was one of belated and continuing achievement and popularity. Little known to the public at age 60, he would become one of the country's most honored and successful writers despite rarely talking to the press. He broke through commercially in 1992 with All the Pretty Horses and over the next 15 years won the National Book Award in the Pulitzer. He was a guest on Oprah Winfrey's show, saw his novel No Country for Old Man, adopted into the Coen Brothers into an Oscar-winning movie. Fans of the Coens would discover, <laughs> excuse me, Fans of the Coens would discover the film's tense, absurdist dialogue, so characteristic of the brothers' work, was lifted straight from the novel. The Road, his stark tale of a father and son, that was a movie starring Tom Hanks, uh, who roamed a ravaged landscape, brought him his widest audience and highest acclaim. It won the 2007 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, as was, was selected by Oprah Winfrey for Book Club which is way bigger than a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. And as Winfrey went interview, McCarthy said, while typically he didn't know what generates the ideas for his book, he could trace the road to a trip he took with his young son to El Paso, Texas, early in a decade. Standing in the window of a hotel in the middle of the night as his son slept nearby, he started to imagine what El Paso might look like in 50 or 100 years in the future. I just thought the image of these fires up in the hill and I thought a lot about my little boy, he told Winfrey. He didn't care about how many people read the road. You would like for many people as to appreciate your book, to read it, but as far as many, many people read it, so what? McCarthy de dedicated the book to his son, John Francis, and said, having a child as an older man forces the world on you. And it was a good thing. The Pulitzer Committee called his book the profoundly moving story of a journey. 
It boldly imagines a future which no hope remains, but in which the father and the son, each other's world entire, are sustained by love. The citation read in part, awesome in the totality of his vision, it is in flinching meditation on the worst and best that we are capable of. Ultimate destructiveness, desperate tenacity, and a tenderness that keeps two people alive in the face of total devastation. After the road, little was heard from McCarthy for over the next 15 years and his career was presumed over. But in 2022, Kampf made the startling announcement that it would release the pair of connected novels that he referred to in the past. The Passenger and Stella, Maria, Stella Maris, narratives about a brother and a sister, mutually obsessed siblings, and the legacy of their father, a physicist who had worked on the atomic technology. Stella Maris was notable in part because it centered on the female character, an acknowledged weakness of McCarthy's. I don't pretend to understand women, he told Winfrey. His first novel, The Orchard Keeper, written in Chicago while he was working as an auto mechanic, was published by Random House in 1965. His editor was Albert Erskine, Faulkner's longtime editor. Other novels included Outer Dark, published in 1968, Child of God in 73, Sutri in 1979, The Violent Blood Meridian, about a group of bounty hunters along the Texas-Mexico border murdering Indians for their scalps, was published in 1985. His border trilogy books were set in the southwest along the border of Mexico. All the Pretty Horses, a National Book Award, Award winner, was turned into a feature film, The Crossing, and Cities of Plain, 1998. McCarthy said he was always lucky. He recalled living in a shack in Tennessee and running out of toothpaste then going out and finding Damn. a toothpaste sample in the mailbox. That's the way my life has been. Just when things are really bleak, something would happen. And McCarthy, who has won a MacArthur Fellowship, one of the so-called genius grants in 1981. In 2009, Christie's Auction House sold the Olivetti typewriter he used while writing such novels as The Road, No Country for Old Men, for $254,500. McCarthy bought the Olivetti for $50 in 1958 and used it in 2009, I donated it to the proceeds could be used to benefit the Santa Fe Institute, a nonprofit interdisciplinary scientific research community. He once said he didn't know any writers who preferred to hang out with scientists. <laughs> the Southwestern Writers Collections, Texas State University purchased his archives in 2008, including correspondence, notes, drafts, 11 novels, a draft for an unfinished novels and materials related play in related to a play in four screenplays. McCarthy attended the University of Tennessee for a year before joining the Air Force in 1953. He returned to the school from 57 to 59 but left before graduating. As an adult, he lived around the Great Smoky Mountains before moving to West in the late 70s, eventually setting in Santa Fe. His Knoxville boy old home, long, long abandoned overgrown, was destroyed by fire in 2009. This was an AP uh, article written by Sue Major Holmes of AP, I guess. Your story. Okay. In biodiversity news from Lisa O'Carroll in Strasburg and Patrick Greenfield, The Guardian, the 
EU plans to restore the biodiversity on land and sea are hanging in the balance after the European Parliament's biggest political group called for the proposals to be torn up and rewritten. On the eve of the vote on the Nature Restoration Law NRL package, the chairman of the center-right European People's Party, EPP, said the vote was 50-50, with potential for others to join their opposition ranks on Thursday. On Wednesday e- evening, evening, the chair of the Environment Committee urged members to vote for the act, accusing the EPP of fake news over food production. Our food security depends on protecting nature from collapsing, yet the right and the far right are joining forces against the nature restoration law that we're voting on Thursday. My answers to the fake news, said, the proposals are aimed at protecting all endangered ecosystems ranging from rivers and seas to peat bogs and indigenous forests by 2050 through legally binding targets. The UN Environmental Chief, Inger Anderson, urged MEPs to show leadership for future generations ahead of the vote and deliver on the promises the union made at the COP15 just six months ago. She condemned those that had turned restoring biodiversity into a culture war issue. EPP claimed uh, Chairman Manfred Weber said his group of MPs supported goals on climate change but said the NRL was a bad proposal which would reduce food production on the continent. The overwhelming majority of farmers don't need any lessons about sustainability. They got their farm from previous generations, so they know what sustainability means, he said. Irish Green Party MEP Siran Kouf, who is stewarding parallel proposals on renovation of energy-inefficient buildings throughout, throughout Parliament, said he worried about a potential deeper EPP resistance on climate emergency measures. I'm concerned that the EPP's commitment to climate and biodiversity is lukewarm. We have been told that they have a kill list of laws they don't want to see passed. The climate and biodiversity crisis have not gone away, and if anything, we need to step up efforts in a face of forcing newspaper headlines about extreme temperatures and warming, he said. While Weber claimed the proposals would harm Europeans' food production by sequestering land for rewilding and other projects, Cuff said that 12 volume, the 12-volume, 5,689-page impact assessment put in the economic benefits of restoring nature at 180 billion euros, or 154 billion pounds, paired with the cost of the measures which had been put at 154 billion pounds. Euros, sorry. The World Wildlife Fund has argued, along with the Greens, that increasing biodiversity, including bees and other pollinators, actually improves food production. German MEP Peter Lees, the environment spokesman for the EPP, said on Wednesday that votes were now split 42 to 42 of the 84 strong committee, with EPP representing 22 of those. We have four undecided votes. It will be very tight, he said. Said one of the main concerns is that the European Commission has not set in stone a definition of degraded land or rivers. Under its present guise, it would require 25,000 kilometers of European rivers to be restored to wilderness, he said, impacting the development of existing hydroelectric plants. The problem with the impact assessment report is that it was written before the outbreak of the war. On Monday, CEOs from 50 companies, including IKEA, Nestle, H&M, published an open letter voicing their support for the law, warning protecting nature was key to a well-functioning economy. Anderson, the executive director of the UN Environmental Program, told The Guardian it was critical that the EU delivered on the promises it had made to the world on nature. 
last month, EU Environmental Commissioner Virginius Sincavicius warned abandoning the law would send a dangerous negative signal to the world. Alongside separate proposals to reduce pesticide use and climate laws, the NRL is part of the European Green Deal. Under the proposals, 88 MEPs on the committee leading the passage of the act will be asked to vote on a version of the European Commission's proposed laws, which will be slightly watered down to try to secure the agreement of the European Parliament. They will be asked to support measures to put in place without delay effective and area-based restoration measures which shall collectively cover they, they shall collectively cover by 2030. At least 30% of the Union's land, freshwater, and sea areas is in need of restoration. But Weber indicated his group would not be budging. We have a lot of concerns which cannot be fixed with this concrete proposal. That's why we asked for a restart for a new proposal from the European Commission. EPP has already walked out of negotiations on the NRL and is hoping others will join them in opposition to the legislation during the vote on Thursday. Okay, so this is, yeah, this is weird. I'm not sure why they're being so sturgeon. I mean, it's explained why they're being sturgeon about it. They think it's going to affect food production, but all the scientists are saying, no, it's going to increase food production because you need bees and stuff to make food. And they're just, there's, yeah, there's something deeper in here, which I think is what the people who are for it are saying, right? These people are rejecting our proposal because... They're making it into a bigger deal than it is. They're making it into a cultural war. You know, oh, this is a threat on our livelihood or whatever. Okay, sure, dude. Anyways, yeah. your next story. Well, it's more climate change news. Well, it's Word Wednesday, so I got basically three stories in one. Uh, first one is, and they're short ones, uh, is weird climate news. Is Mount Washington, which we've been to, is, north, is in uh, New Hampshire, one of the highest peaks in the East Coast. Uh, Mount Washington, known for its extreme weather, records its snowiest June, and it's only the 14th of June. <laughs> New Hampshire, this is in, according to the AP News, Gorham, New Hampshire. New Hampshire Mountain, known for its extreme weather conditions, recorded its snowiest June in 91 years of record keeping. Snowfall on Saturday, Top Mount Washington brought the total amount to 8.4 inches for the month of June, according to the Mount Washington Observatory. But with a return to warmer weather, nearly all of the it, nearly all of it had melted by early Monday. The observatory posted on Facebook that, statistically speaking, the last snowfall this the last snowfall this season typically occurs in early to mid June most years. A quasi-stationary low set over the region, delivering snow early every day for the nearly early every day of the month. With another low and cold air approaching in the days ahead, we could see that total grow further, the observatory said in a statement. The observatory is at the summit of the northeast's highest mountain at 6,288 feet, which is 1,916.5 kilometers. Another weird news involving pigs. Pigs run loose on Metro Highway after semi-truck tips over in Mexico, and I'm sorry, in Minnesota, which is always, you know, constantly being confused with Mexico. No. Yeah. In Meta, this is also AP News. In Little Canada, Minnesota, pigs ran loose in a Metro Highway after a semi-trailer truck was carrying 50 hogs overturned, causing an hours-long shutdown on 
Friday morning in Minnesota Interstate 694. State troopers tried to corral several loose pigs that cameras showed running through traffic, the Star Tribune reported. The truck tipped over at around 7.35 a.m. and caused morning rush hour traffic to back up for more than a mile, Minnesota Department of Transportation cameras showed. The truck driver was not hurt, according to Lieutenant Gordon Shank with the Minnesota State Patrol. Ten pigs died in a crash. Well, no. bacon for breakfast, I guess. Authorities I rounded up them. the pigs, some of which were injured. Poor piggies. Investigators are looking at what caused the semi to tip on its side as navigated the curve of I-694, where it joins with northbound Interstate 35E. Nearly five years ago, no more than 20 pigs spilled onto the roads in a more rural part of the state after a semi-truck overturned at the highway interchange near Mankato. About 90 pigs had been in the livestock trailer. Some of them died. The driver suffered minor inter inter injuries. And last year... On the Pennsylvania Highway, several monkeys escaped when a truck that was towing a trailer of 100 monkeys collided with a dump truck. The truck had been on its way to the lab. The drivers weren't harmed. What about the monkeys? Okay, and more pig news. Again, this is the AP. Officers round up hundreds of pigs from overwhelmed Florida Animal Sanctuary. Oh, yes. No. Pigs are going wild everywhere. This is Canton Mint, Florida. The resistance Animal is coming. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just pigs everywhere. Again, they breed like crazy. <laughs> and I think they have 15 at a time or something like that. Animal control officers rounded up more than 600 pigs from an animal sanctuary in Florida after they overwhelmed the owner. The overwhelmed owner called for help. It took nearly four days for officers in Escambia County to capture so many pigs on the eight-acre property used in loving in loving swineness sanctuary. It's a said John Robinson, the county's animal control director. Last year, the sanctuary had bought had about 150 miniature pigs that owners were using to remove invasive Colgan grass around the Florida, Pan Florida Panhandle community of Cantonment, the P Pensacola News reported. So this is up by the Panhandle, by Alabama and Georgia. The pigs proved to be prolific procrast procreators. Sorry, no crazy. They're pop. Prolific procreators, their, their population had grown so large. Robinson said that the sanctuary operator called his agency last week saying, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> During the roundup, the pigs showed zero interest in cooperating with animal control officers who left several of the larger hogs behind to ensure nobody got hurt. It's so difficult when you're dealing with that many animals. It shouldn't be the Robinson said, it shouldn't be the county's responsibility to clean up somebody else's mess like this. At this point, we've basically zapped our resources. The captured pigs were divided up and trucked off to farms and other new homes outside the county. The landowner on Tuesday was cited for violating a local zoning ordinance and ordered to pay a $250 fine. Robinson said the county officials were weighing on other potential sanctions against the property owner and sanctuary operators that's it if you want to want a sanctuary that's great but you can't overpopulate the sanctuary but also the government <laughs> kind saying, of defeats a purpose the government's saying it's not our job to help you it's like no it is 
I know because yeah, these shut up. basically invented a sanctuary out of nothing and the government had to clean it up and we all got to pay for the cleanup now. Yeah, so it's not the government's job. Sorry. Not the government's job to, to uh, some some uh, sanctuary guy decided, oh, I'm, a, I'm an environmentalist because I'm going to kill this invasive species, not even thinking of the consequences of overpopulating, overgrazing, or any of that. So, yeah. All right. He's, he's going to get a big fine. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's not that big. It's 250. In culture news, the pop band BTS celebrates their 10th anniversary and the members can actually do anything. This is from NOS News in the Netherlands. Part of the skyline of Seoul turns purple because the South Korean pop group BTS has been in existence for 10 years today, which is actually really rare because most K-pop groups don't even make it to seven years, let alone 10. In that time, BTS grew from a band that had to hand out flyers for a free performance to a world act, including performances at the White House and the UN headquarters. Members can basically do anything, the perfect picture of an idol, says K-pop expert Flora Smith. According to her, it is, a it is special in South Korea that a K-pop band has existed for a decade. There is a so-called seven-year curse on most K-pop bands, that says the researcher at Leiden University in the radio program Met Het Oog op Morgen with your ears in the morning. Competition between them is fierce. Those who are not successful often do not get a new contract. Yeah, most of their contracts are seven years long. So if they suck, they don't get a renewal. And then you never see that band again or those people. Well, maybe some of them go solo. They become so be dentists. Yeah, they become dentists. So BTS did manage to break through not only in South Korea, but also in the rest of the world. I think that's because the image of BTS is always that they are also want to say something good. They have a moral message in their songs, says Smith. For those who are not yet familiar with the Korean pop sensation, the group consists of seven young men who perform very beautifully synchronized dancing, sing very well, rap, and play in commercials and act, says Smith. They do everything. Fans are taken into the into the lives of the BTS members via social media. That is what makes the band so special, according to Salaika Vlar, 21, who founded a fan club in the Netherlands. That really creates a connection. The film, they film when they play games and you can watch their lives, for example, when they go on holiday together. Through the films, you get to know the band members well. You draw, you're drawn into it and you belong for a bit, says Vlar. Artists do not shy away from serious themes. This is how BTS speaks out about the importance of mental health and love for yourself. They discussed anti-Asian racism with U.S. President Biden. Blah. They mean a lot to me. At times when I feel a little less and I watch a video, I, I become completely happy. Although the band is now cele celebrating its 10th anniversary, BTS is currently on hiatus and members are pursuing solo careers. It's not a hiatus. I don't. I hate that the media keeps saying this. As 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 an army, I will say right now, they they are taking a break from group activities. They're not on a hiatus. Hiatus indicates they'll never come back, which they don't want people to think. They're definitely coming back, right? That's what they. This is their own words, right? Hiatus is a bad translation of what they said. They never use that word in Korean. Members are pursuing solo careers. Some also are doing their national service. Earlier, there was a discussion whether the group could be exempted from this because of their artist status. In South Korea, the music industry means hard work. Up-and-coming K-pop idols undergo years of training. Mitt says that this also prevents scandals such as improper handling of alcohol and drug use, especially on the outside. 
industry looks so perfect, but on the other hand, there are also a lot of bad stories going around. It's no secret that the Korean music industry puts a lot of pressure on artists, K-pop stars such as Donghyun of boy band SHINee and Sulee of group FX committed suicide due to the pressures. Through K-pop and the national film industry, such as series as Squid Game, the country wants to show how good and great South Korea is. The Smith 10th anniversary of BTS is therefore used to attract tourists to South Korea. They can do a tour to places where BTS has been, where the band has recorded music videos, so you can see that the industry is very important for the economy and for the image of the country. In the near future, Seoul will be dominated by BTS. The color purple that belongs to BTS can be seen in various places. According to Smith, you can see it in the entire street scene. Fans coming to town will receive a warm welcome. I think this feels very much like a homecoming for a lot of fans. Yeah, I loved purple before I even knew who BTS was, but now but I have to agree. Uh, B- BTS does own the color purple. If you see purple, they're probably a fan of BTS or a BTS member. Who knows? Uh, either way, that's our cultural news for today. On to In This Day in History. Big Prince that owned the color purple, but he's not around anymore. So it got moved to someone else. Nah, he doesn't even, like, I don't even know who gets any credit for his music now, right? <laughs> he didn't have any kids. I mean, he might have had one, right? I got it all. Anyway, neither here nor there. This day in history! 1645. This is June 14th, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. The parliamentary new model army led by Oliver Cromwell defeated the royalists under Prince Rupert in the Battle of Naseby in this day in 1645. In 1658, the French and English defeated the Spanish forces near Dunkirk in the Battle of the Dunes. In 1777, the the Continental Congress approved the Stars and Stripes as the first national flag of the United States. In 1800, Napoleon and his troops defeated the Austrians in the Battle of Marengo, securing his military and civilian authority in Paris. In 1807, Napoleon won the Battle of Friedland, leading to the Treaty with Alexander I of Russia. In 1811, American author Harriet Beecher Stowe, whose novel Uncle Tom's Cabin fueled anti-slavery sentiment, was born in Litchfield, Connecticut. In 1928, Che Guevara, theoretician and tactician of guerrilla warfare, a prominent communist figure in Cuban revolution in 1956-1959, and a guerrilla leader in South America, actually a doctor, they didn't mention that, he was, he was born in this day in 1928. Uh, I wonder if left out doctor, that's so interesting. 1940, German forces entered Paris, beginning a four-year occupation of the French city. You got distant Che Guevara like that. That's kind of fucked up, right? Just because he ended up being a communist? He was a freedom fighter, man. The, the manned Soviet spacecraft Vostok 5 was launched, and two days later, Vostok 6 was sent into the air orbit carrying cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman to travel in space in 1963. So 60 years ago, the first woman went in space. 
1982, the surrender of a large Argentine garrison at Port Stanley to the British military concluded the Falkland Islands War, which was fought in control of the Falkland Islands and its dependencies territory long disputed by warring nations. And I think that war took 72 minutes. I'm not sure. <laughs> it was very short. 2009, American basketball coach Phil Jackson won a record-setting 10th NBA championships as he freeloaded on the backs of Shaq and Kobe for a championship on 2009 that he gets way too much credit for. Uh, I'm just saying. The guy just rolled out the balls. That's all he did. I'm the coach. Yeah, sure you are. Whatever. 1940 is a featured event, and this is a sad day in history. On this day, 1940, the trans first transport of Polish political prisoners arrived at Auschwitz, which became Nazi Germany's largest concentration, extermination, slave labor camp. More than one million people died. Sad. Birthdays today? Yeah, birthdays today. Steffi Graf, Dennis Slayer, born on this day, 1969. 1982, Wang Lang was born, the Chinese musician. 1969, oh, 1950, Rowan Williams, Archbishop of Canterbury, was born. And we already mentioned Che Guevara, and oh, it's Donnie Trump's birthday. Donnie Trump was born as this day in 1947, the twice indicted, twice impeached, disgraced former president of the United States. It's 77. And what day is it today? It is National Mexico Day. Woo! Yeah. New Mexico, Mexico, sorry, I said that wrong. New Mexico, National New Mexico Nuevo Day. Nuevo Mexico, yay, I'm That's from there. Nuevo. That's my place. Get some green chili, some hatch green chilies. I was born in Texas and because that was the closest hospital, but my heart belongs to New Mexico. Fuck Texas. We that's it's right. Anyways, it's all New Mexico because it was all stolen from Mexico. Remember yeah, that? illegal. International illegal war was con was stolen <laughs> land, and certainly all the Mexicans living there were like, "What? We're not Mexicans anymore. What's going oh, on?" Man. Also, you guys. Yeah, what? Hundred years later, is like, "What? We're in the United States, huh?" I don't know. Well, also, whatever. You have to Give leave. Me I know you've lived here for thirty centuries, but don't care. <laughs> You're brown. Get out. Bunch of laid-back mountain people. So, yeah. So you're you're descended from the laid-back mountain people of New Mexico. Hell international yeah. Bath Day. It's International Bath Day also today. It's National Cucumber Day. Hey. I love I love cucumbers. Yeah. Yeah, you put them in sandwiches, which I think is weird, but that's just, your just life. Stop. <laughs> I'm a weirdo. National Pop Goes the Weasel Day. It sounds kind of weird. And World Blood Donor Day, which is always a good thing. And it's National Flag Day, June 14th. Don't forget, it's Flag Day. Get out there and wave at that flag, because this is the day the flag was commissioned in 1777. We just covered that. National Bourbon Day. So while you're out there waving your flag in New Mexico, taking a bath with cucumbers with your weasel, and giving blood, don't forget to have some bourbon. It's also the Army's birthday, June 14th, and it's National Strawberry Shortcake Day. They really overdid it on June wow, 14th. Wow, there's so many things I have to eat today, I have to, and I have to take a bath as well. <laughs> you better take a bath after all that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, this has been Allison here from the Netherlands. We're gonna have a barbecue later. Very exciting. <laughs> Weather's great. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> hope to see you tomorrow for some more news some about biodiversity and Ukraine getting angry because not everything is perfect. See you next time. 
And this is Roger with more silliness from the United States on June 14th with the Comprehensive News of Planet Earth, June 14th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.